0: are we doing this really wait for it are we doing this wait for it wow oh, what the fuck WTF. and it's also eh, what the fuck what's wrong with me it's time for wtf what the
1: fuck with mark Maron.
0: okay what the fuckers thank you for coming i'm glad you're downloading my podcast i'm glad you're all enjoying it if you're on the treadmill be careful if you're on public transport try to stay clean Do not get sneezed upon. Welcome to the show. I'm very excited about the show because we're going to take a little departure from what we usually do and talk to my friend Sam Lipsight, who is a brilliant writer, a novelist. I don't know if you've read his books, but you should. He's going to be here. Also very funny. And we're also going to be talking to um, Matthew because Matthew's sitting here right now and he's going to try to keep his mouth shut until a few with Matthew comes. We'll see if he does that. All right, look, I've got this problem, and this is a what-the-fuck problem because I've been doing it all of my life. I've been doing it since I was a little kid. When I was a little kid, my grandma used to take me to the mall, and I would go to bookstores, and I would spend hours in bookstores because I loved bookstores. I think she thought it meant that I was going to be a smart child. I learned a lot of things in bookstores, which is not necessarily where I'm going with this particular little bit of uh, of information I'm sharing with you. But here's a couple of things I learned in bookstores, all right? The primary thing was I found a book in a bookstore, in a Walden Books when I was a child, called Very Special People. All right, Very Special People is a book about freaks. It was about circus freaks. It was about the history of circus freaks. It had pictures of the mule faced lady, of Prince Radian, the guy who had no arms and no legs and lived in a bag. Of Johnny Ick, who had who had no legs but could walk around on his hands and also he was a conductor and and did other things. Of Siamese twins. And it blew my mind so far open I couldn't even manage it. And I became obsessed with circus freaks. And I think one of the reasons is is they were people that couldn't help but be marginalized, couldn't help but not fit in, and some part of me emotionally resonated with that. All right? So it got me so obsessed to the point where most of my life I was sad that I wasn't going to be able to see a circus freak. And then the miracle happened. The Albuquerque State Fair when I was like 12 years old or 13 years old, Ronnie and Donnie, the only living Siamese twins. I was going to have my moment where I could go see them. They were at the Midway at the Albuquerque State Fair. And I bought my ticket and I walked up and it was like a living room in a trailer and you just saw these two heads that were kind of tilted funny like that, like Timmy's twins. And they were just watching TV. And I felt like I, I should get more than that. Like I felt like like maybe I could knock on the window and say, come on, show me where you're connected. Do something. But they were just watching TV. So it wasn't very satisfying, okay? And then they had the the, the elephant-footed man the man with elephant feet. And I'm like, well, this is good enough. Not as creepy, but I'll check it out. And I go in and there was this little man. He must have been as big as Matthew. Small man. He was a small man and he's pretty thin, but he had these horrendously disgusting large feet where the toes were all deformed and sticking out at weird places. And he was wearing a loincloth and he was talking to people while you stood there. He's like, you want to touch him? You want to touch him? Just go ahead and touch the toe. And I'm like, I'm not, I'm not doing that. But I, th- I thought that was a pretty real freak. And then I go to see, this is where I learned my lesson about about freaks. I go to see the wild woman of the Cajun swamp. It said on the on the banner, the wild woman of the Cajun, wild uh, uh, pygmy woman or something of the Cajun swamp. And I go up and I walk in, you know, you walk up a ramp and they're usually in a trailer. And literally, I walk in, I look in and there's a woman making her bed. This little woman is just making her bed. And I felt like I was imposing. And she turned around. She had long hair. She was short. She was like dwarfish, you know. And she was wearing like a you know, some sort of like loincloth clothy outfit, which seems to be the common way that freaks dress if they're wild or whatever. And literally, I was standing there watching her make her little bed. And she turns around and looks at me almost like, like oh, okay. And then reaches into a box and pulls out a snake and turns to me and goes... Aah. I literally felt like, oh, you know what? I'm sorry. I really didn't mean to bother you. So that was what compelled me from a book that, that, that changed my life and that ended that particular trajectory. And then the other thing I learned from a book from the humor section in Walden Books was that a history of underground comics. And I was like 11 years old, and they had a sex section in the history of underground comics with R. Crumb, Spain, and other people from the underground comics world who did these panels about sex. And there was one panel, and I'd never seen or understood or even really fathomed how the penis went into the vagina. It was just because I had no real clear concept of what a vagina looked like as a receiver of a penis and there in this cartoon book was a penis entering a vagina and it fucked my head up good but really blossomed my ability to masturbate properly (laughs) now moving into the present my current problem with books is and this is a a relative what the fuck is why the fuck can i stop buying books knowing that I have the same experience with books. I read Chris Hedges' book. I interviewed Chris Hedges. I read Empire of Illusion. He keeps referring to this book in there called Life and Fate by Vasily Grossman. He was a, a Russian novelist who wrote this huge book like Love and Death or Love and... What is it? Peace, More and Peace. And I'd never heard of it. But Chris Hedges keeps referring to it, basically insinuating that it has all the answers Like all the answers are in this book. And I have felt that way about many books. I've bought many large books with big titles that I can't understand thinking that all the answers are in them. City of Courts by Mike Davis. Okay. Uh, A Thousand Plateaus by Deleuze and Guattari. Uh, uh, Foucault books. uh, Spinoza's Ethics. When I see them in the store, I have a moment where I'm like, I got to have that book because then everything will make sense. Not Realizing that there's no way I can assess what's in that book. It doesn't matter. When I buy it, I feel good. I bring it home. I'm excited. And it was this behavior that made me realize that I'm addicted to books for a very specific reason. Cause I underline, I I I engage, and I have books where like I get the highlighter out, dude. I have a book a, a copy of Plato's Republic from from college. I think everything but the pronouns was underlined. So I get into this book and I'm underlining and I'm underlining and I've got hundreds of these books with these big titles big fat books and they're on a bookshelf in my garage all of them have bookmarks at page 15 to 20. Now the arrogance of that is is twofold. If I can use the word twofold.
1: You just give me the finger.
0: No, I said twofold with two
1: fingers, but that, Matthew. That the middle twofold. was more prominent. Twofold. All right.
0: Yeah, I'm. I'm. i giving sensitive? you. The, no, I'm giving you the middle finger because you're you're nodding your head and you're just like, okay, Mark's doing his thing.
1: Yeah, I'm waiting. Listen. I'm waiting for you to. Yes, listen, I'm yeah. going
0: to. All of them have that that bookmark at page fifteen to twenty, and the arrogance of that moment is that is the moment in a four hundred page book where I said, oh, I get it, I get this. I understand. There's no reason for me to read the rest of this book that may have taken 15 to 20 years to write. I understand. I've got enough. I read everything like a self-help book. It doesn't matter what it is. And then I realize that I'm addicted to books because I don't retain much. I just look for things to spark my little brain, right? It's not that little. You don't you know, no, be nice but, to yourself. But, but, but what I'm uh, saying is that while I'm reading it, okay, it feels like I'm thinking it. And that's enough. That's the high but still i have all these books i walk into bookstores now and i walk into my garage and i literally feel like i'm being bullied by my books if i walk into a bookstore literally it's like hey stupid what it, come on what, it, what take a take take me home i got all the answers what's up dummy that's how i feel when i walk into a bookstore and i get exhausted
1: I think that You stores, know the books aren't really saying that to you, though.
0: No, of course not. But I feel this way. I feel overwhelmed in store. Like, I think that they should have a cot at Home Depot, that there should be a place available for, for people who are maybe just going in for an outlet or an extension cord. And you walk in, you're like, oh, my God, the possibilities are overwhelming. I'm exhausted. They should have like a – like, you know, at concerts where they have the, the tent where you go if you take too much drugs? There should be – what is that called?
1: Brown acid tent.
0: No, it's got another tent. It's it, but they should hospitality. Have, yeah, they should have one of those at Home Depot. Just the the overwhelmed amateur tool guy tent.
1: Yeah. I just want to say something. Yeah, I'm five nine. Yeah, not it's not that it's not that short. It's average.
0: But you're shaped.
1: Shaped. Yeah. But what's what sort of shape? You you you're kind of roundy. Round.
0: I'm not fat, but round. You get you kind of. You're yeah.
1: Round. Would you say? Would you say I'm? pudgy would you say husky well how would you put it how would how would you put it if if you looked like me how would you hurt yourself i have looked like you and so how did you hurt yourself
0: i called it fat
1: you know i've been skinnier i've also been fatter
0: but i don't say i'm not saying that you're fat i'm saying that when i've what been, are you saying i'm saying that when i've been where you are i have thought i was fat but i would say yeah. you're just pudgy
1: no I, you know i think i'm fat I don't. i don't think i'm unattractively fat i you know I still get women. Maybe it's a certain caliber of women. I don't know.
0: You work it. Yeah, I work
1: it. it. I make it work. I'm also funny. At least that's what they tell me after I apologize for not satisfying them. They say, well, at least you're funny.
0: No, I think you're funny. And I think that you have a persistence that women probably find uh, sympathetic.
1: Oh, yeah. Okay. I think that probably accounts for something in this world. You know, I want to say something about the uh, circus freaks. Yeah. I really feel like that gives me some insight into you. And I think it's beautiful that that was the sort of epicenter of something for you. Because if you think about it, you basically became a circus freak. Except for that your fascinating deformity is on the inside. Yeah. So yeah. So you kind, of, you kind of reached your goal. Your dream is true.
0: My inner lady is bearded.
1: Exactly. And we've <laughs> met your inner lady. <laughs> we have? Yeah. This is so gay. At least you haven't requested that I be a woman yet on this episode.
0: Right. Do you want to show me your feet? your feet are regular sized all right
1: i'm five nine
0: look it was just something it's something that happened to me when when i was a kid i was just using you because you were in the room as an example of size the guy was actually a little smaller than you and he was thinner than you
1: but nobody can see that on the podcast mark i I just explained it to him do you you want me to touch your feet
0: you want me to touch your feet
1: actually my feet are freakishly small
0: well there you go so you're completely different than whatever i said all right
1: i have high arches that part is true well then you're a freak
0: Do you need help, Sam? Yeah. There, it's ready. Yeah. It, they're ready. That's good. Sorry, man. It's okay, buddy.
2: It's been a, it's been a pretty long day. You know? Has it been a long day? Yeah.
0: It's so long that your phones are puzzling?
2: They're, they're just like a Rubik's Cube or something.
0: <laughs> I didn't mean to challenge you right out of the gear. Yeah, come right up to the mic, too. Right, the, sorry. You speak right into the machine.
2: Yeah, that's nice too. <laughs> My uh,
0: these puzzles. Yeah. I, I, you want me to open that water
2: for you? Yeah, good. Yeah. <laughs>
0: I can do it, I think. My uh, my guest in studio is uh, a dear friend of mine and somebody I I respect greatly because he he lives a noble life. I believe that that being a novelist and being a, a, a dark comedic genius, I know that you don't want me to say that, I'm just a big fan. Sam Lipsight is here. He is the author of the uh, collection of short stories, Venus Drive, the novels the subject Steve, the novel Homeland. He is sitting here with a galley copy of his new novel that is called...
2: The Ask.
0: The Ask. That's a good title. Thank what, you. Th- what does that... That means something in, like, gangster talk. What is The Ask?
2: More like corporate gangster talk, maybe, or...
0: Yeah, yeah. What is it, though, exactly?
2: Uh, well, I could actually... Well, Just it, tell me
0: how you came about it and why that title.
2: Well, the, uh, the the narrator of the of the book is a development officer at a university, meaning he, his job is to raise money for uh, buildings, fellowships, all of those sorts of things, uh-huh. and uh, his job is to talk to rich people and get them to give money. And uh, when they're talking about either the person they're asking or the amount they're asking for, they refer to it as the ask.
0: Okay. And that's so, where you get that. And
2: so if I were asking you for money yeah. for some sort of project, I would yeah. probably refer to it as the Marin ask.
0: <laughs> <laughs> to, to other people, not to me. Right. Say, <laughs> How's it going with the Marin ask? Right. Like, <laughs> that would be the people you work with. Right. who are saying, How, where are we at
2: right, with exactly. the Marin ask? Can you give us a timeline?
0: Right. And you would asks. say, I don't think Marin has much to give.
2: Right. And that's the other thing. You would make a give.
0: Right, yeah. so there's the ask and then the give.
2: There's a the ask and the give.
0: Now, I've talked to you about novels before, and certainly everybody should read Homeland by Sam Lipsight because they don't realize that that Sam Lipsight, my friends, lives like a real writer. He writes books. He's not out there doing the Oprah thing. He's teaching kids how to write at Columbia University and writing the books. There are guys that, that write real books, and then there are guys that just write garbage now we don't have to mention names but there is a certain literary element to book writing that is rare these days is it not
2: well i you know i don't know if it's always been rare or it's just sort of a little off the radar maybe <laughs> I,
0: uh, I like kinda, like reading in general
2: well uh, people are going to read Mackenzie phillips book right
0: when's that come out uh, i don't know i can't wait um it sounds sorted and seems good. like
2: we've got what we're gonna get
0: really But don't you think there'll be scenes and stuff? I mean,
2: you want scenes? Of course, I do. I'd rather imagine them.
0: Really? Like, I just want to know what age, because at some point his liver was giving, and it just wasn't sexy at all.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Um, where were we?
0: We were at um, literature and uh, whether. Well,
2: I, you know, I wonder if maybe I have a fantasy that twenty years ago, thirty years ago, you went to a party, say, and I fantasize about these parties too. All the things that happened at
0: them. The but, ones 30 years ago? <laughs> the ones that But not the one where Mackenzie and her dad were at.
2: Well, they were upstairs. <laughs> <laughs> it was a mix of artists and musicians. And everyone was and like, writers. where's, you? where's, where's <laughs> so Phillips? Where, where, where'd he go? And
0: then, and then there was a lot of like, shh, just be cool.
2: Exactly.
0: <laughs> Seems wrong. You're kicked out of the party.
2: <laughs> so at that party. Yeah.
0: Downstairs. Downstairs.
2: Downstairs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, everyone's talking about the the latest record or yeah. movie of consequence, yeah. and also the book. Right. And I feel the book has sort of fallen off <laughs> the shelf there. No one really needs to talk about the book at the party anymore.
0: Well, I think consequence in general has fallen off.
2: Maybe that's I mean, true. What
0: the hell they determine consequence on. It seems that, that once everyone became so astute and in tune with the business element of all these different mediums, that you know that has infiltrated the dialogue of what consequence means it's like even if it's an indie movie people are still going to be talking about numbers nobody really talks about literature in a lofty way or film in a lofty way except for my friend Matthew who we'll talk to later I mean they talk about books and movies you've never seen before or heard before right and that used to be important when I was younger but it should be important to everybody now
2: well and I you know I want to say this with the caveat that I think it is important to a lot of people and a lot of. People I teach and work with. There was a it's time still very important,
0: right? But there was. A I'm time. talking about an
2: industry that that sort of.
0: Right, has, but what I'm saying is at contracted. the same the same time as that party, you, this wouldn't be uh, unusual to hear. And now tonight on the Johnny
2: Carson Show, Norman Mailer. Right, exactly. Where? How come you're not doing David Letterman? I don't know. I'm the only one in this room not doing David Letterman. I've well,
0: I haven't <laughs> done it in a while, but uh, but like I think that you write in a way. That the, the weird thing is, is I think a lot of people don't like the one thing I borrowed a book of yours once.
2: You didn't buy it?
0: No, not not one you wrote. Oh, OK, <laughs> it was actually a book. It was it was Sabbath's theater.
2: Oh, yeah. The Philip, Philip Roth, Roth, Roth
0: book, novel, the yeah. big book about the the radical puppeteer <laughs> who, <Right. laughs> who had gone off the deep end as he got older.
2: Hadn't he turned down Big Bird? That was yeah, right. yeah. It's was, it was
0: a pretty <laughs> genius He's bit of satire. Out of integrity,
2: just,
0: this book's yeah. got about four hundred pages in it, and Sam lends me this book. And in a four hundred page book, there is one sentence underlined, one sentence. And I said, Sam, there was one sentence underlined in the book, and Sam goes, "Well, that, that was really the best sentence in the book."
2: I wish I could remember it now. I know, it would be so good. <laughs> yeah.
0: But then I, when I talk to you about how you start your process, it's not unlike that. It's not unlike you start, you know, I, I've asked you when you've started novels, what's it about? You're like, I don't know, I'm working around these two sentences. And that's yeah. where sprouts form. How does that process work?
2: Well, I don't use outlines or anything like that. I just sort of start. And I really believe that you get to weird places by not trying to plan ahead i think we spend most of our time thinking about what's going to happen in the future when right. we get to the party right. <laughs> and, uh,
0: or the one we missed 30 right. years ago right that's the, past. That's the other half yeah.
2: part, of our thinking life but uh, so the active so, part
0: of writing the novel is not knowing Well, for what's me the happening.
2: first draft is figuring out what i'm writing right figuring out what it is what it's trying to be
0: and these characters sort of sprout as you write them along and they do things where you are like that's sort of surprising that he did that I, where did that? come Yeah, I mean, from?
2: I'm always a little leery of the oh, the character just ran away with the book. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, things start to happen, and then you you take a lot of wrong. This in this process, you take a lot of wrong turns, and you slam into walls, and 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 you lose years of your life. Yeah. <laughs> do,
0: you, do you have to actually say like apologize to your character as you delete chunks? I'm Sorry, man. <laughs> <You> just, <laughs> yeah. I couldn't have it you did, in that situation. It didn't work out. <laughs>
2: <It's awkward.
0: laughs> yeah. So the new book is it now? Homeland. I don't know how you would uh, describe Homeland, because it was a, a hilarious book to me, because it was about, uh, what was the first sentence uh, of Homeland?
2: Well, it sounds really egotistical, reciting the first sentence of an old novel, but it's confession time, catamounts.
0: And then, and then he says, doesn't he declare that uh, I did not pan right, out? Right, exactly. And it's about a guy who didn't pan out. And he's uh, living at his parents' house in New Jersey, isn't he? Or well, is he's, he's got an he, apartment? He
2: did get out of his parents' house. But right. he's living in this... He's kind of a border with this strange Holocaust-denying woman. It's and,
0: it's, it's a celebration of a type of disappointment that is very uh, common to all of us and what comes from that. And this book is... Is it that guy now older?
2: Yeah. Well, I don't know if that guy could have gotten this place but it's a simple maybe that guy is a roommate college roommate or something
0: and this takes place at at a college
2: um well part of it does He, he most of the action doesn't take place at the college at all but his job is to uh raise money for the arts program in this at this college and uh he's on he's loses his job in the first chapter but he has a chance to win it back if he can land this big ask who it turns out has sort of orchestrated the whole thing for him to work on the the ask is it's his old friend from college who's enormously wealthy and manipulative
0: so he's toying with him
2: well it seems as though he's toying with him but there's actually a darker reason
0: Ooh, i just so. did a merv griffin oh <laughs> ooh,
2: that sounds wonderful i'm just really summarizing what's on the back that the, the <laughs> publishers <laughs> Publishers wrote that. I don't,
0: yeah. So are you going to <laughs> yeah. read now for us?
2: Um, Do you sure. feel like
0: doing that? Sure. Where, what part of the book is this going to be from? Well, the middle, the beginning, the end?
2: I could, read, I could read a bit from the very beginning.
0: Let's read the whole book.
2: That would be great. We could take turns. Yeah. Okay. America, said Horace, the office temp, was a run-down and demented pimp. Our public's whoremaster days were through. Whither that frost-nerved, diamond-fanged hustler who'd stormed Normandy, dick-smacked the Soviets, turned out such firm, emerging-market flesh. Now our nation slumped in the corner of the pool hall, some gummy coot with a pint of mad dog and soggy yellow eyes, just another mark for the juvenile wolves. We're the bitches of the first world, said Horace, his own eyes braziers of delight. We all loved Horace, his clownish pronouncements. He was a white kid from Armonk who had learned to speak and feel from a half-dozen VHS tapes in his father's garage. Besides, here at our desks with our turkey wraps, I did not disagree. But I let him have it. It was my duty. We were in what they called a university setting, a bastion of, etc. Little did I know this was my last normal day at said bastion, that my old friend Purdy was about to butt back into my world, mangle it. I just figured this was what my worst teachers used to call a teachable moment. Horace, I said, that's a pretty sexist way to frame a discussion of America's decline, don't you think? Not to mention racist. I didn't mention anybody's race, said Horace. You didn't have to. PC robot. Fascist dupe. Did you get avocado on yours? Fattening, I said. Don't worry, baby, said Horace. I like big women. What about hairy ones, I said parted my shirt to air my nipple fuzz. Horace let me be a Cretan with him. You could call him my infantilism provider, though you'd sound like an idiot. Otherwise, I was ostensibly upstanding, a bald husband, a slab-bellied father. Gentlemen, said our supervisor, Vargina, coming out from her command nook. Did you get those emails about the Belgian Art Exchange?
0: That was Sam Lipsight reading from his upcoming novel called The Ask that is how that is how men write <laughs> that is how things are written can I tell my wife that yes yeah, you I, can I, yeah. oh my god that has everything in it see that's that's a thing Sam and that's the thing that just pisses me off is that there was a time god damn it where men wrote books <laughs> where they 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 bent language into beautiful things and funny things like who are your heroes? I know some of them, but let's let's share it with the with some of the people that listen to this podcast who may not read the books that uh, that y- you uh, refer to in the sentence you're about to say.
2: What is the sentence? <laughs> <laughs> who are your influences? The sentence I'm about to yeah. say. Um, I I guess I, I came up reading people like Barry Hannah and Stanley Elkin, Philip Roth. Uh, let's see. Early Don DeLillo. Um,
0: yeah. Oh, what's he been doing lately?
2: Uh, I don't know. God uh, damn it. I don't know what the... the Oh, it was Falling Man, that book Falling Man. Oh, right. about
0: 9-11. Yeah, I couldn't get through that. But I mean, I remember like you gave me your... Uh, you gave me a reading list and I read a lot of them. But I remember when, when DeLillo first came out, when I was... I, I must have been in college when I read White Noise. And that excitement of reading... Like... There's two kinds of reactions you can have to a book. You can have a reaction to the story or you can just like, like with someone like you or Donald DeLillo, it's just, there are certain sentences or paragraphs where you're like, what the fuck just happened to my head? And you got to go back. And I mean, that experience is so spectacular. Like the end of white noise. Yeah. Where, where that dude just like shoveling those pills into his mouth, you know, hail of bullets. I mean, we're in the same with the, the the stuff that you write. And the, There's moments in, in Homeland and certainly in fucking Venus Drive where it's just like, it's just spectacular that that you can wrench those out of the out of the fucking nowhere. I, that wasn't very articulate, but I get excited because I don't uh, I don't read a lot of fiction and I don't read I, I don't read fiction as entertainment. So when I do read it, my expectations are very high. Having, uh, having you as a friend, and they don't always meet it.
2: Well, I mean, th- that is, that's maybe the problem also. It's the same with movies or any medium. I mean, there may only be, in a given year, a few really good things, but they have to keep pumping.
0: Garbage, things. up.
2: Well, garbage or just mediocrity, whatever it is. But uh, those, those, those people and more, I guess I've always been interested in writers who could be funny and dark and meaningful through language. Yeah. Rather than just trying to kind of tell a story that maybe could be better told in a movie or a television show. Right. I mean, why read that? Why not make a movie or a television show? But people that can do it through language, through, through the sentences. Right. They can write. They can write. They can write. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Sam? Sorry, I was teaching earlier today, so I'm just in the, you know. Yeah,
0: no, I, it's okay. My brain is degenerating. Like, when I write text, like, you are is you are. The letters, you are.
2: Oh, you're doing that now?
0: Well, that's the thing I respect about you, but also I find irritating, because if I do email well, I you, text. God knows how long it's going to take for you to get back, because uh, I don't know if you know how to turn your fucking computer on.
2: Well, if it's texting, I mean, you can be sure that I'm standing on a street corner for about 20 minutes, just trying to work the thing.
0: Well, why don't you play along and get a new fucking phone?
2: Okay. <laughs> <laughs>
0: sure. No, you don't have to. It, but Sam doesn't have a website. He doesn't Twitter.
2: Well, He doesn't text. They tell me I have to do all that stuff now, so...
0: So who are, who are they, and how are you responding?
2: Well, I haven't really responded yet, and they are my, uh, the people publishing my book, FSG.
0: They tell you you have to do all that?
2: No, they suggest it. They, they, you know, they can't order you to tweet. But what are you going to do? You can't. <laughs> it's not that kind of society yet. <laughs>
0: It's soon though. It's soon. Let's go around the there's corner. A, there's an unspoken force saying, <laughs>
2: right, "Yeah, exactly. you know, it's
0: always right there." Yeah. <laughs> it, it, that's the great thing about the Big Brother idea is that uh, you know Big Brother is watching us. We and internalize that's what, the you know, command right. to tweet. That's right. what we, we pay understand. him for. Right. Okay. Like I didn't want to tweet. I didn't right. want to get a. I didn't want to get an iPod. But eventually, all that spite that you have towards people with white headphones becomes, "What am I missing?" Yeah. You know, <laughs> I got to get involved in this, and then you can't stop, and it would eat up all your mind. But I, I do want to tell people that you did get a a, a Guggenheim and what does that mean to a writer?
2: Well, it meant a lot to me because I, you know, don't have a lot of money. So.
0: But it, that is a grant right. that is awarded to people. Right. For, for for
2: Well, it's in the arts and also in uh academics. So you can get it as a scholar or as a painter or as a writer of fiction or a poet.
0: And you also are teaching at Columbia pretty full-time right now.
2: Very full-time for the last 4 years, yeah.
0: So, in other words, Sam Lipsight is living the life of a respected author of real books. And you can you should be commended See, when, for that.
2: When I'm sitting at home, it doesn't really feel that way.
0: So. Well, that's why I have you on the show, okay, to make sure nice. people understand. I, I want to validate Sam Lipsight on my <laughs> podcast and celebrate his genius. You, you know, people who have listened to this from uh, the first episode uh, might not realize that Sam has made a cameo appearance in a story that you told, and and this might be a time to connect it and hear the other side of the story, but you mentioned that you cried uh, on the night of the Chevy Chase roast,
2: mm. <laughs> and that Sam was there. I was there.
0: I, you know, what I remember the most about that night was that, like, I had known what just happened because I was on the dais. There was, you know, must have been fifteen hundred people in that room at the Hilton. They had two big screens you know, showing the roast and I, you know, I was just bombing. And I know that I know how my face works. So I know on those two big screens, me not being able to find a way to get a laugh could not have been great to look at. And I just remember that like I got off stage and you were there and we went uh, and and I looked at your eyes and you, you just looked horrified. (laughs) You're like, like there was no comfort really. There was just sort of like, what, what, what happened? Going, what do we do now? It's basically the feeling that I got, and I'm like, I'm like, well, let's get the fuck out of here. So we go up to the room, and you sat there while I basically went like, what well, I I can't do it anymore." I mean, I was breaking down, wasn't I?
2: Yeah, but I'd like to believe that I gave you some. You, know, you did some comfort and it wasn't just, no, I did, but sort like, of like gleefully watching you. No, 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 down. It,
0: it wasn't, no, it wasn't a gleeful thing. <laughs> what it was, was that, you know, we are, we've known each other long enough to be very sensitive to each other. And I just knew that whatever I was feeling, that it was a new situation for you, but you know, it didn't go well. Right. Yeah, you know, and uh, no, I was very happy that you were there, but it was an ugly moment where it was one of those dark nights of the, uh, of the, of the comedy soul where I was like, I can't do it anymore. I can't. And I think we probably went to the Carnegie Deli or something like that.
2: I just remember so I was sitting at a table with Gilbert Gottfried's sisters. and, uh, <laughs> and uh, We've had it was, better times. There was a guy who had a Richard Bay. Was that his name? Yeah. And he was sort of hitting on this other guy's girlfriend. Yeah. It was like almost in a fight at the table. Yeah. And then I was talking to some other guy out in the lobby who said he wasn't going in because there was too much Rockefeller trash in there. And I just still trying to figure out what he was talking about.
0: (laughs) This is clearly not the party 30 years ago that that we had fantasized about. No
2: no Phillips people in sight.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We've had some good times though. Sam and I usually get together, uh, once or twice or three times a year to do a Carnegie Deli thing. And we sit and do what men do at Carnegie Deli. And then he later takes segments of what I've said and puts them in his books. And-
2: I have stolen <laughs> a lot of things you said. It's
0: true. <laughs> we don't need to go over it. But it happens. And I'd like to be surprised. But well, we talk- actually,
2: the last time we were at the Carnegie Deli, you you did something. I, won't, I don't want to describe it right like yeah. here. But you were doing something. And then you looked up and said you should put this in your book. <laughs> and I did. <laughs> when the and, book comes out, I'll oh, yeah. share
0: what that is. Okay. D- do you know when it's coming out? Did we already say that?
2: Yeah, it's not coming out for a while. It's not.
0: Is it going to come out in hardback and then softback?
2: Yeah. and as go- they say paperback? They're going to reissue Venus Drive at the same time. So.
0: Oh, that's fucking great. Awesome.
2: And uh, But yeah, it's not coming out till March, I think. So well, we've got a lot of lead time here.
0: <laughs> so how the kids?
2: They're doing great. Wife uh, is Alfred good. Alfred just started kindergarten. And,
0: mm-hmm. uh, I wonder everybody. if he still remembers the fire truck I bought him.
2: Yeah, he still plays with him. There.
0: Anything you want to say to the people? Uh, the uh, the uh, the which, uh, what the fuck army.
2: The what the fuck army. Yeah. Um. You're listening to the right man.
0: Thank you very much, Sam Website. <laughs> oh. God, I don't know what it is today. I got—I don't know. I'm just uh, God. I just can't shake this. Like some days, the weight of the world. I don't know. I guess everybody gets that. I can't just shake it. I'm—I'm I'm sitting here trying to shake it, but I just—I feel heavy-hearted. You know, I need to call somebody that—that uh, that always makes me feel better. Do we have a? Uh, can we call Eddie Pepitone? Do we have his number? Let's call Eddie Pepitone. I haven't talked to Eddie Pepitone in uh, in a while. He always makes me feel better. Hello. Eddie, it's Mark Marin.
3: Oh, hi, Mark. I'm so glad you called.
0: I'm so happy to talk to you. What are you up to?
3: I'm cooking cow. And, uh, I don't know. It's bringing up a lot of issues.
0: Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so you're trying to fight it, huh, Eddie? You're trying to fight back whatever it is that's eating you.
3: Exactly, man. Exactly. Um, I, am just so, uh, tired I'm so tired of uh, being the guy who, uh, you know, doesn't get picked to do things, you know? Yeah. I want to be the guy who's like, wow, uh, look at that guy. Yeah. Look at that guy. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I'm sauteing kale. I'm measuring the amount of protein I have. And I'll tell you, Mark, I still cannot... Ah, oh, Christ! I, I can't find God. Can I talk about this for a second? Yeah, well, bring no, it. Man. I really want to talk to this. Go I really, ahead. I really want to. I really want to mention this because, you know, you're you're a smart guy. I consider you a smart guy. Yeah. Okay. And and I I cannot find God. So if I can't find God, yeah. Okay. And I call God the big pleasure. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that's the big pleasure. No, because if you find God, yeah. Tell me. Tell me if you 're not going to find peace, of course you're going to find peace, sure now I can't find God, so all I have left is, are the little pleasures, right, okay, because God is the big pleasure, right, so I can't find God, so now I you know my doctor told me I was pre diabetic about a year ago, yeah. so now so now the little pleasures are gone because I can't have a, a, a pudding, I can't have a pudding, <laughs> right do you know that I feel? Like, I've raped a child if I have a pudding late at night. No,
0: I didn't know that.
3: Yes, yes. It's like... It's like I'll have a pudding, and I'll be like, oh, my God, I'm a bad person. Am I really a bad person because I had a pudding? Or is someone who's a world leader in some South American country who's raped children at gunpoint, which I've read. I do a lot of reading. Sure. If he does that, who really is the bad person? Like, where does my guilt come from? And how come God isn't going to take it? And this is what's on my mind today. Plus, I'll tell you what else is on my mind. Is the new fall season has got me a little pissed off. And one thing that's really getting to me is the vampire bullshit. Mark, I can't can't take it. I I can't take it. I live in L.A. I don't know where you live. You're very elusive. I live in L.A. (laughs) I drive around. All I see are billboards for vampire shows. (laughs) You know what, Mark? What? You want a vampire show? You want, you want real vampires, yeah. go to my family. You go to my family. My father, who I call Colonel Kurtz of Staten Island,
2: okay? Yeah. He lives in a fucking house in Staten Island. He's a renegade school teacher who went
3: bad, real bad, Mark. He went against orders. He's fucking living in Staten Island now. I had to go visit him like Martin Sheen in Apocalypse Now <laughs> yeah, recently yeah. when I went to New York. Yeah. You know, he just sits there in his house. In the suburbs, you know, and wh- you know everybody who's got a house thinks they're King Fucking Lear.
0: What did he sit there and go, the horror, the horror? That's,
3: no, that's what I wind up doing after spending five minutes with them. You know, you don't visit enough. You know, it's just so hard, Mark, especially with all the vampire shows around because these vampire shows—they are, you know—they really are sucking the life. Yeah. out of everyone. Well, I
0: think actually okay. am I wrong Eddie in thinking that, you know, LA is filled with a different type of vampire that there's psychic vampires that drain you of your life force and you don't even know it till you left the office. Like say every time that that little Eddie Pepitone goes in for a little movie part and they say, mm-hmm. "We love you. You're very funny." And they go, "Look, we'll we'll be in touch." And they don't be in touch. You don't think they didn't take a little bit of little Eddie's mm-hmm. life force?
3: They do. And I just had that recently where it was a movie called Love and Other Drugs was the name of the movie. How are you and not perfect I, for that? <laughs> yeah. And, and No, but check it out. The, the, the part I'm going, I went into audition for was a comic who has Parkinson's. And he's giving, I swear to you, he's giving uh, his routine, he's doing his routine to Parkinson's people. And it's very dark, you know. Can you and give
0: I'm, me a little taste of that, Eddie, please? Can you sing, hum a few yeah, bars? I, uh,
3: yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, so I come up and I'm, I'm like, hey, how you doing? Uh, Fuck soup. <laughs> Fuck soup. Fuck you. And this is their lines, okay? These Fuck are the soup. lines they've written. And you go into these little casting offices and what kills me, Mark, yeah. is how nice they are. Oh, hi, Eddie. Hi. Oh, we're sorry you were waiting. Yeah, yeah, we're sorry. No, we don't validate parking. Um, yeah, could you do this role that, you know, you're not going to get now? Yeah, you just do it first. My name is Vicky, and I'm very soft-spoken, and uh, I don't respect anyone unless they're a name. So, hi, Eddie. Yeah, just do your little bit. So I did my bit. Fuck soup. Fuck jewelry. And then after I do their lines... She says, now do some of your stuff, Eddie. Do some of your stuff as the Parkinson's guy. And do you know I blanked on my material? It's in those little rooms with the soft-spoken casting person on Melrose Avenue where there's no soul. Now, you know there's no soul on Melrose, right? Yeah. I try to make it in acting, and God, you send me for these parts on Melrose Avenue where people don't give a damn. Damn, God. So let me ask you very pointedly, God, how long is the humbling process? I can't have cake. I can't have sugar. And I have been told I shouldn't even have flour. So I don't have pizza. I don't have pasta. I'm eating kale now with four ounces of protein every night. You, let, me, let me ask you something, God. What is up? Hold on, I gotta stir the kale (laughs) I'm cooking the kale here Uh, And you know, I'm real nervous going over there You know, Mark, when you go on these auditions Because part of me is like, maybe this won't be a break. And, then, and before that, I'm YouTubing Michael J. Fox to get the movements down of Parkinson's. And as I'm doing that, I wind up YouTubing, YouTubing a Russian street brawl. And I watch fights on YouTube. Hey, God, what's going on? Why do you fill me with such violence? Why, why do you fill the world with such violence? Why is there so much violence on YouTube? Yes, there are cats playing the piano, but there are more street fights on YouTube. And I'm drawn to them. And I'm drawn to them big time. So I go see a five and a half hour opera. Try to relax. I see the uh, Siegfried over here in L.A. I see Wagner's Siegfried. Mm. Oh my God, did that speak to me? And I don't know why.
0: I think that what what you you're not doing is looking gift horse in the mouth here. I think that you wait a few weeks, go to a cable network, and you pitch <laughs> fuck soup. You've because you you've got talk soup, you've got web soup, and just say you just walk in and and you and you say I, fuck soup. Do I have to say anymore? Fuck
3: soup! I got Marin attached, and that's all I'll
0: say. Right? Fuck soup, and it's just it's just me. I'm hosting a show, and I'm running YouTubes of <laughs> Russian bar fights. It's called Fuck Soup. All right? You got fucking cats. Fuck soup.
3: You know what? I think you have straightened me out. Thank you, because this was turning into a bad night.
0: I, I love you, Eddie. Enjoy the kale. We're gonna we're gonna try and uh, thank we'll, you. We'll work with you again in the near future. Okay. Mark, Don't hurt yourself. You. Bye. Bye. I want to thank Sam Lipsite for coming by. It's always a pleasure to see someone who is that brilliant and also doesn't Twitter or Facebook or any of that. How weird is that? It's like being in the room with a freak. And, of course, Matthew. And I'm glad Eddie Pepitone was there for me as well. I will be in San Francisco October 8th, 9th, and 10th at the Punchline in San Francisco. Did I say San Francisco enough? Did I say the Punchline? Punchline in San Francisco. Talk to you next time.